Wow, you guys, I had such a good time. Uh, yesterday, it was the last basketball game of my grandson David, his basketball season. And both my grandsons, um, I want to be careful. One grandson was here last night, Wilkinson, but Jake and Miriam's two boys are here today. David's here today, and uh, he scored uh, yesterday. And last game of the season, and so the other kids that were making baskets, they would run down the floor like this, yeah, yeah, baby. When David um, swished one, he came running by us that were sitting on the sides, came running by us like this. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Hey, um, I'm glad you're here. I hope you go through life, you know, like that. God is good, baby. Uh, hey, thanks for coming today. Those of you joining us online, I love all you guys. I thank God for you. And the spirit of the living God, so profound. Not only will he... Not only is he anxious, I mean, if you allow him, he will profoundly touch your heart today, make a calibrated change in your life and relationship. But he goes right through the internet to devices in your home as you watch, as you listen, as you experience Jesus. If you're with us for the first time, man, we are delighted to have you. You've caught us on the last weekend of a study we call Understanding Jesus. But to tell you the truth about this church, if you come back, man, we want you to come back. But when you come back, you'll find out we're all about Jesus all the time, all about knowing Jesus, all about experiencing Jesus, and all about making Jesus known to our friends, the family, neighbors, coworkers, because he is faithful and he is good. He's a saving Jesus. He has saved us from our sin. He has saved us from hell, death, and the grave. He saved our relationships. He saved us emotionally and mentally. He'll never stop saving us, and we want others to know how good he is. Um, so we've been going into the book of Colossians in this study. In the first half uh, of this letter that Paul wrote from jail to a church in Colossae, first half is all about the all supremacy of Jesus, that he's greater than anything. He's greater than my problems. He's greater than your difficulties. He's greater than my worries. He's greater than your concerns. He's greater than our anxiety. He's greater than our depression. He is greater than anything. And, the, and also in the first half, it's all about the all-sufficiency of Jesus, that he is more than enough for our every need, the needs of our relationships, the needs of our marriages, the needs of our parenting, our emotional needs, our mental needs. He will meet them all according to his glorious riches. He is all-sufficient. Then the second half of Colossians is just super everyday practical. We learned that um, God can restore us. No matter what kind of mess we've made of our lives, he can restore us to his best version of us. That, that, that Jesus can be the center of our relationships and the center of our lives. We, we, we've learned how to pray for the people that we love. And then Paul closes out Colossians. The last 10 verses, he gives us the 10 names of his 10 closest friends. And this is kind of cool to me because it reminds me of my my mom and dad, for the last uh, three years since COVID, and now that my dad has an advanced cancer, I, I call him every day. And the, my favorite part of the phone call is hearing what friends stopped by that day to help them in some way. Because, I mean, it is a mind blower. People come by to do everyday chores like shovel their snow in the winter or mow their grass in the summer or uh, rake their leaves in the fall. A lady, one lady comes every other week. She's done this 
for years. Every other week, she brings a fresh bouquet of flowers just to brighten up their home with the looks of the flowers, uh, the, the fragrance of the flowers. Um, people come by. This one lady, Deb and I were there one time. They came by with desserts for my mom and dad. That happens regularly. If they make a dessert for their family, they just make extra for my mom and dad. People bring them meals. If they're cooking for their family, they cook two extra meals for my mom and dad. People uh, pick up their groceries for them. People give them gift cards for local restaurants. One lady comes by regularly uh, just to sit with them and, and pray with them. And maybe you think, holy smokes, that is awesome. I wish I had a bunch of friends like that. Well, I'm about to tell you how to get them. Here's friend fact number one. If you are good to lots of people long enough, lots of people will be good to you. That's what I've, what, what's happening to my mom and dad. It's what I've tried to drill into my children as long as they lived in my home. If you are good to lots of people long enough, lots of people will be good to you. Here's friend fact number two. You know this one. If you want a friend, don't complain that you're lonely or no one wants to hang around you. If you want a friend, be a friend. And, and you can take it to a level, another level with friend fact number three. To get a good friend, you gotta be a good friend. The friendship is not gonna be good unless you bring the goodness to it. And friend fact number four, this is the biggest one. Put your friendship on a whole different trajectory. The best friendships are built while serving Jesus together. And that's why Paul is closing out his letter to the church in Colossae, 10 sentences, every sentence highlighting a different friend, 10 friends in the closing 10 sentences. The best friendships are built as you serve Jesus together. In fact, if you come here, it's unlikely that you're going to have deep connection just by sitting in this room. Rich relationships erupt as you serve Jesus in kids' works, feeding the hungry, helping the homeless, being a part of some ministry in this church. But as you serve on one of our serving teams with others, that's how rich relationships are built. So back to that friend fact number four, the best friendships are built as we serve Jesus together. So one after another, his top 10 list of his top 10 friends. Here's where Paul starts with a friend called Tychicus. His mom called him Little Tick. I just made that up. That'd be gross. He said, Tychicus, a well-loved brother, a faithful, say faithful, yeah, a faithful, everything in this text turns on that word, a faithful minister. Now you may think, hey, David is a minister, his son Jake is a minister, all those other men and women on staff, they are ministers. No, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a minister, or you're supposed to be. You're supposed to minister to somebody in Jesus' name. Not just sit on the sidelines, but get in the game. So that's this guy. Tychicus, he's a well-loved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. He will tell you about all my present circumstances. This is partly why I'm sending him to you. The other reasons are that you may find out how we are getting on and that he may give you courage. Now, this is huge. Everybody needs to be the kind of friend 
who gives others, those they love, heavy doses of industrial strength, courage. And to give courage. I mean, don't whine that you don't have anybody in your life giving you courage. You be the person who takes the initiative. You give courage to others. I mean, real courage. You gotta have it in you. If you don't have it in you, you can't give it to others. You gotta have a courage that is greater than your fears. You gotta have a courage that is greater than your concerns. You gotta have a courage that is greater than your worries, a courage that will face any struggle, a courage that will hang in there in the face of any daunting task, a courage with staying power. And so this guy, Tychicus, he is, go, he is going to Colossae and he is going to deliver courage to them. He's going to put courage in. He's got enough courage for himself and more to give courage to, to them. Well, where does he get the courage? Well, the secret is in that word faithful that you repeated earlier with me. Faithful, the Greek word in the text is pistos. And it's always used in the New Testament indicating a person who fully believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because when you believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, when, that you believe that he is risen, his resurrection power, what the Bible calls the incomparably great power by which Jesus is raised from the dead, that power gets in you. You got that power in you to do your marriage. You got that power in you to do your parenting. You got that power in you to do your emotions. You got that power in you to do your finance. You got that power in you to do everything. If you have the incomparably great power of Jesus based on your belief that he has risen from the dead, that power is in you and that power gives you courage. But pistos also meant those who fully trusted in all the promises of God. Now, the promises of God, there are thousands of them in his word. I guess Jake stole his Bible. But you got to read God's word to find the promises. You got to know the promises uh, for your finances. Know the promises. Claim the promises. Trust God for the promise. You got to know the promises for your marriage. Believe the promises. Trust the promises. Live the promises for your emotions, for your anxiety. For your depression, know the promises of God. Trust the promises of God. A faithful person, a faithful husband in a marriage, a faithful wife in a marriage, a faithful friend, they know the promises of God and trust the promises of God and that enables them to bring courage and speak courage into the relationship. And they're not just blowing smoke. It's not just empty words. They transfer their courage based on their belief in the resurrection and their trust in the promises of God. They are able to transfer it to you so that you get stronger, you get wiser, you are more able, you have a greater capacity. So here's the deal. Because Tychicus was this faithful minister Paul put tremendous trust in him and made him, Paul made Tychicus his mailman. He was, going, he was entrusted to deliver this letter to the church in Colossae. We call it Colossians. He was given the letter to the church in Ephesus. We call it Ephesians. He was given a letter to a guy, a rich guy named Philemon. Now, God breathed on Paul. Under the breath of God, Paul writes these letters and he gives them to Tychicus and he says, man, I am trusting you to carry this precious cargo to each church and to this person, I'm trusting you. And it was more than just the importance of what he was taking, the word of God. It was a rigorous journey. 
It was a thousand miles from Rome in Italy to Ephesus in Turkey, and then from uh, Ephesus to um, Colossae, another 200 miles. Now, my Deb and I, we like to go to the mountains in Colorado every fall. A trip like that, we would be walking every mile from Beloit all the way across Iowa, Nebraska, deep into Colorado, up into the mountains. That's the kind of rigorous trip this guy's looking at. But Paul does not send him alone. He sends his second friend, Onesimus. Here's how the text goes on. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful, there's that word again. This dude, Paul's not gonna anchor this guy, burden Tychicus with somebody who doesn't fully believe in the resurrection of Jesus or who is not fully trusting in the promises of God because a trip like that, it's gonna be dangerous. It's gonna be perilous. It's gonna be demanding. Maybe there's times when they don't have the food they need. Maybe there's times when they gotta be protected from bandits. So he sends with Tychicus another guy who believes in the resurrection and fully trusts in all the promises of God. A beloved brother, uh uh-oh, check this out, one of your own people. You see, Onesimus was from Colossae. He was a part of the church there. It's just that he's a young man and he's a runaway slave. And his former master goes to church in Colossae. And he's carrying on his person the letter to his former slave master, Philemon. You see, Onesimus He escaped from his master, escaped from slavery. He didn't just stop in Ephesus, 200 miles away. He goes all the way to Rome to mix, get lost in the crowds, get away for good. But in Rome, he falls in love with Jesus and is drawn to Paul. Goes in and out of the place where Paul is imprisoned. And now he is sent back to his master. Now we believe that slavery is a vile, dark, evil But in that day, um, it was a part of the culture. But if you go home this afternoon, you read the book of Philemon in the New Testament. Philemon is the name of the slave master. Onesimus is the slave going back with the letter. And you are going to see redemption and reconciliation and restoration and freedom in Christ. But that's Onesimus. You see, Paul surrounded himself with the right kind of friends And the right kind of friends know how to get courage from the promises of God and the resurrection power of Jesus. And they know how to give courage to those they love. But it's not just that Paul had the right kind of friends. He had good friends. And a good friend can be counted on to always be there when life is at its ugliest, when life is at its worst. And Paul had a friend like that. His name was Aristarchus. He introduces him next in the text. Aristarchus, who is here with me, a prisoner. He sends you his his love. Now, when you read the New Testament, every time Aristarchus pops up in the story, he is with Paul, and every time Paul is in the eye of the storm, something terrible, something unbelievable is happening to Paul. It's tremendously dangerous. Like in Ephesus, there is this out of control, maddening riot. I mean, it's super violent. They want to tear Paul. I mean, literally want to tear him limb from limb. Now, 
People run in situations like that, but not Aristarchus. He stays. He's like, man, you want to get to Paul, you're going to have to come through me. And they did. They seized Paul. They seized him. And they're going to kill them both. I can just imagine Aristarchus speaking courage into Paul. Hey, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. We got the resurrection power of Jesus at work in us. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. God is in control. God is at work to our good. And he was. By the hand of God, they were miraculously released from that mad mob. And they got the heck out of Dodge. But then they went to Jerusalem. Another uproar. Another terribly violent Riot. Again, Paul and Aristarchus at the, at the eye of the storm. They want Paul dead. But the Roman garrison, Roman soldiers step in. Paul is arrested. And they're like, we've had it with you, dude. We, you're, you're causing riots wherever you go. So we are done with you. We're putting you in a boat. We're shipping you to prison in Rome. Aristarchus. He cannot leave his, his friend's side. So he decides to become Paul's slave. He's not Paul's slave, but if he's gonna get on the, Paul, the boat with Paul, the only way he's gonna be able to get on the boat is if he says he's Paul's slave. Now, back in that day, if you would choose to be slave to someone, you love this master, they cared for you, they provided for you, they were good to you, you wanted to be their slave, what you would do, you would drive a rod through your ear. And that was an indication that you had chosen to be their bond servant, their slave. Now, people do that today during both ears and think it's jewelry, um, but that's what they did. I'm choosing. This is how he was able to get on the boat where Paul's being shipped to Rome. That's how he was still incarcerated with Paul because he had placed himself as a slave. Can you imagine? What friend in your life would you be willing to give up all your personal freedoms for? What friend in your life would you be willing to give up all your rights for? Well, if you have a friend like that, you ought to marry him. Serious. When you get married, you give up all your rights. Quit elbowing your spouse. When you get married, you have freedom to love your spouse. To better for worse, richer for poorer, sickness and health, to love and to cherish. And I'll tell you something. Why? Because that's a picture of your relationship with Jesus. When you are baptized, you give up all your freedoms. You have the freedom to serve Jesus. You give up all your rights. He is your Lord now. Husbands and wives need to know about this because it's easy to fall in love. It's hard to stay in love. To stay and stay and stay and stay in love. Here's how Jesus said it. Jesus said, this is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Now, if that's the very best way to love, very best way to love is to put your life on the line for your friends, I would say at a very, very close second is praying for your friends. My mom and dad, I am so grateful for all those people 
who come alongside them with groceries and doing the chores and bringing them meals and desserts, but the person for whom I am most grateful. I, Deb and I, live five hours away from my mom and dad. That person, that lady who comes by regularly and cares enough to pray with them, that's everything to me. She hangs out, but the hangout is secondary. The prayer is everything. And there was a person like that in Paul's life. Let me read for you. Your own pastor. You see, Epaphras, this friend of Paul, he had been the pastor. He had started the church in Colossae. But all of a sudden, the church blew up with this big problem. Epaphras feels like, man, I'm in over my head. I got to go find Paul. Last time he saw him, he was in Ephesus. So he tracks those two in him. Paul's not there. Finds out he's in Rome. So he goes to Rome, but the only way he can get to Paul, who is incarcerated, is to get himself arrested. And that's what he does. He gets himself arrested so he could be in prison with Paul. Now, what would you be willing to get arrested for? What would you be willing to give up your freedom for? What would you be willing to go to jail for? Epaphras did it to be friends with Paul. Your own pastor, Epaphras, who serves Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He always prays hard that you may fully know what the Lord wants you to do and that you may do it completely. Oh my gosh, you guys, I read that this week and I I thought, I want somebody like that in my life. I want somebody right now who's praying for me that I will know to the core of my being exactly what God wants me to do and then I would be willing to do it, whatever it is, completely, you see. The very best kind of friend is a friend who is passionate about prayer and those they pray for. And, and that's you. We had a God moment in this room last weekend on Saturday night over in our chapel at 8.15, Sunday morning, 9 o'clock in this room, 10.30 in this room. And you guys showed yourself to be the best kind of friends. When you came into the room, you were given a card that had spaces for you to write the names of your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers who are far from Jesus, whom you wanted to have an opportunity to invite them to join you here. You brought those names forward. Hundreds of people came to the front, left the cards, got a sticker, made a commitment to listen to the daily gospel. We made a promise to you me and the rest of our staff, that we would pray with you for your friends and family, neighbors and coworkers who are far from Jesus. Do you know what this room would look like if all our prayers were answered? Do you know what this room would look like if everyone that we're praying for said yes and joined us here in church? Watch this video. This place would be absolutely packed out, every seat taken, if every friend that we're praying for, every family member we're praying for, every neighbor, every coworker would say yes, every seat taken. This is is all Jake's idea. He's got the brains. And Shannon did the video. She's got the technical skills. I still have the good looks. Um, But um, Deb and I came in early and with a couple of other friends here, we helped Jake pin the papers to every seat in the room. And then at the end of staff meeting, we brought the staff over, but we wanted them to walk away, walk in a certain way. So we brought them under the steps and around through the back and onto the stage so that for the very first time, she would, they would see every seat covered with the papers representing the friends and family that we're praying for. And you know what? There's not enough seats in here. 
We had to go over and put papers on every seat in the chapel. A new, uh, another 250 seats beyond the seats in here. That's how many people we're praying for to have them drawn to Jesus. How many people we're praying for to invite and bring with us here to church. You're the best kind of friend those guys have because you're the kind of friend who prays. You're passionate about prayer and you're passionate about the people you pray for. Well, those are some of the friends that Paul mentioned. Uh, there were others, but I wanted to share with you the last words Paul used to close his letter to the church in Colossae. It's a prayer itself. Check it out. He writes, may God's grace be with you. I, I can just imagine the pastor at the church in Colossae as he get, reads through this letter for the first time and people, man, they are on the edge of their seats listening. They're hearing all these names and then that final blessing. What happened in that room when that man said that blessing? May, may God's grace be with you. May God's grace be with you in your marriage. Be, may God's grace be on your finances. May God's grace be on your emotions. May God's grace be in your mind. May God's grace be in your parenting. May God's grace be at your work. I wonder what happened. And maybe you wonder, what is God's grace? Well, God's grace is God giving you good gifts that you don't deserve. Number one of which is your forgiveness of sins. You've given, been given a clean slate, a fresh start, a new tomorrow. Uh, number two of which, the grace of God, you know what it is? It's God giving you his good Holy Spirit to live inside you. And the Holy Spirit living inside you, he just creates more gifts beyond measure. Gifts like joy and peace and love and hope, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. You, you see, you first get God's grace when you surrender your life to Jesus in baptism, when you go under the water, you get the gift of having all your sins washed away. When you are raised up out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes and fills you. That's the grace of God. And then the Holy Spirit keeps gifting you with grace, good gifts that you don't deserve. Well, if that's what God's grace is, and it's available for every aspect of our lives, we get the finances we don't deserve. We get the marriage we don't deserve. We get the children we don't deserve. We get the parents we don't deserve. We, we get the job we don't deserve. We get the joy we don't deserve. If that's what grace does, if that's what God's grace is, what does God's grace look like? God's grace looks like a bloodstained cross where Jesus took our place, suffered our punishment, poured out his blood to cover our sins and died that we might live super abundant life now and eternal life in heaven where we get to do what we love most with those we love best forever in the presence of Jesus. What we love to do most with those we love best all in the presence of Jesus forever. Grace looks like a blood-stained cross, but it also looks like an empty tomb where Jesus came stomping out of that grave, alive, victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And his victory is our victory. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in those who trust and believe in the promises of God and anchor their lives to their, their belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Praise the Lord. You see, you get God's grace when you make Jesus your friend.
And so if you'd stand with me now, I'd like to help you with that. I am gonna pray God's grace over everyone in the room right now. Um, I, I wasn't able to greet every one of you personally. Um, if you need prayer over any issue in your life, I'll be down here with other members of our staff. It's our honor to pray with you. But if you need Jesus as your friend so that you receive God's grace, um, I want to help you with your baptism. So I'm going to invite you to come. But let me pray over you as a group first. Would you bow with me? Our Father and our God, what a faithful king you are. A glorious Glorious Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, we exalt you. Lord Jesus, we believe in your resurrection. We trust in all the promises of God. We got the courage, courage for us and courage to give to others. We will always pray hard for those we love. And right now I pray for these I love, Lord, that you would just dispense an unmeasured generosity, your grace upon them right now for all areas of their life. May the grace of God be with you. But Lord, I also pray your loving kindness over every heart that you're attempting to draw towards yourself. Everyone you desire to see baptized. Lord, let your grace make that spiritual experience so attractive to them that they won't make any more excuses. That they won't give a rip about what anybody thinks, that they'll just come. They'll just come to experience God's grace in all its fullness and have their sins forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.